Welcome to the High Action Podcast. I am John Story, joined here by my cohorts in the New West Guitar Group, Perry Smith and Will Brom. On today, episode 35 of High Action, we're going to discuss studying your recordings. But before we start this fantastic episode, this important episode, as all of them we consider to be our, we'd like to let you know that our sponsor today is EliteGuitarist.com. Uh, Elite's online classical flamenco and jazz guitar lessons are designed to help you play actual repertoire pieces in the shortest time possible. Join thousands of other students in accessing a massive library of classical jazz and flamenco online tutorial lessons. And uh, visit EliteGuitarist.com for more information about that. It's a great website, and myself, John Story, as well as Larry Kuntz are currently the jazz guitar instructors on that site. So be sure to check out EliteGuitarist.com. How you guys doing today, Perry? What's going on out in Brooklyn? Um, not much. Yeah, I want to check out Elite Guitarist. Get yeah, some, man, it's been a fun project. Guys. Yeah, Larry and I, well, Larry actually was doing it for years before I hopped on, and then I filmed a bunch of stuff, then the pandemic hit, and so we've we've just, yeah, it's been an interesting opportunity that the pandemic actually kind of helped in a way, like, focus on online guitar teaching, which I hadn't done a whole lot of yeah. before, so. Same yeah, thing with our podcast. We started this as a, as a yep. response to the pandemic. I remember yep. our agent was like, Maybe you guys should do a podcast. And we were like, what the F? Where are our gigs? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just making it work. Or my fit one of my favorite Will Brom quotes, you just gotta adapt. You gotta adapt. <laughs> I, did I say that? <laughs> you did. Oh. You did, Will. You did. In fact, uh, yeah, one time we were on the road, I remember we were clinicking somewhere and a student said, Gosh, what do you do? The fact that there's no record deals anymore, and your answer was you just gotta adapt. You know, you gotta adapt. Which I, was that I like just that. in Oregon? That might have been in Oregon. That sounds I don't know like where we got the record deal question. Maybe that was Denver. But uh, how are you doing down in Long Beach today, Will? Everything's good. Uh, drinking coffee that I can't taste. But it's all good because it's still coffee. Man, New West and the Rona. You know, all three got it. Rona point. guitar group. Being a yeah. jazz guitar player, uh, it's a lot like being in the Marines because the code for being in the Marines is improvise, adapt, and overcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that that settles right into being a jazz guitar player too. Well, and and if we were part of the armed forces, New West would certainly be boot camp. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. Not only do we have to hike with our Calton cases in the snow six miles up a mountainside, you know, we also have to, uh, you know, shed and keep all of this hard music up. As apparent from our last tour uh, in up in Oregon, which for those who haven't listened to that episode, be sure to tune in to the one and only high action episode all three of us have done in the same room together of mm -hmm. the nearly hundred episodes that we've released. That's right. Yeah, but you know, speaking of all these episodes, all the stuff, you know, this is an interesting topic today, and it's a bit of an open-ended topic. This idea that as guitarists, it's important to study your recordings, and it's interesting because uh, um, it's something I feel like a lot of creatives deal with is this idea of kind of looking in the mirror a little bit and looking back at yourself or listening back or hearing back or and um an actor that will remain nameless i think recently i heard a quote saying that he doesn't really pay much attention to uh 
the movies that he's in, and people didn't understand why. And I think that it's something that us musicians can relate to. I, in fact, the great Wayne Shorter, I think there's a quote where he once said that he only listens to things, including his recordings, maybe once or twice, and that's it, and he won't listen to it again. And, you know, just to kick off this episode, I really wanted to get both of your all's thoughts on, you know, how comfortable have you gotten over the years as we go farther and farther into this career that we are guitarists? Uh, you know, how much, how more comfortable have you become? Um, and, you know, Will, I'll ask you this first. You know, has it, has it become easier for you to listen back to what you record? In a nutshell, yes, because ideally today versus six years ago, my playing is more intentful and whatever... I'm laying down and playing on the back end, listening back. I'm going to feel like it's more of a intentional statement. That's something worth listening to, as opposed to maybe you agree six years ago or so, if I were to listen to something I'd be playing, I'd be like, um, what, you know? So yeah. yes, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then we're also with live recordings versus studio recordings, mm -hmm. you know, because there's a lot of factors there. Perry, what do you feel like, man? Have you gotten more comfortable listening back? Yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm more comfortable listening back. I don't know that I do it as often nowadays as I used to. Um, certainly early on, it was much more of a teaching tool for myself to try to sort of become my own teacher. Um, you know, the old phrase, right, the tape don't lie. You know what I mean? So if you feel a certain way about your playing and you listen back to it and it's not feeling or sounding that way to you, then it's like you got to address things. And yeah. that was that was really clear to me. And, um, you know, early on in New York, I would record almost every one of my gigs and try to listen back and kind of like hear what was going on. And that is a slippery slope. I know we've done this a lot in New West on tours where we've tried to record things and listen back. And you have to be careful, you know, because if you get too analytical about the stuff that you're working on, that seeps into your playing in a negative way. So... At a certain point, I think it's helpful to um, avoid listening back because mm. it'll it'll mess with your head. You know, mm -hmm. you got to kind of understand that that point. Well, you, you know? know, I remember Perry like some of the first time we went into the studio to record New West stuff way back, almost twenty years ago now. Um, we were actually like really excited to listen back to what we were recording because sure. the sound of the group was such a different experience and we had only kind of been playing together in a room and then done a couple gigs and I've always strived to have that excitement um, you know even back when I was a kid I was fascinated with recording I would ask my parents <laughs> you know at Christmas for all those mics that were like a radio shack and I had like a Fostex 8-track cassette deck recorder and I would multi-track guitar parts and Man, I just absolutely was fascinated, and I loved recording. I, I always thought it was fun, and New West was always like that for me, too. Um, I feel like, you know, and this is kind of the first step in discussing this today for everybody listening, in order for us to study our recordings, we have to know what we're really listening for, and that might also help us a little bit overcome the fear of listening to our recordings or, like you said, Perry, getting too heady and, like, listening too much 
and then going off in all these angles with what we're recording. Um, in a lot of ways, recordings can help us meet our goals as musicians. And in order for us to have a goal, we have to have a an aim or something that we're really going for. And there's kind of two categories with recordings that it seems like most musicians that we're always listening for, whether this is a recording that is a live performance that we've given, whether it's an artistic like my band, my record, going in the studio to record my thing, or I'm sitting down to record tracks for other people. Um, there's concrete items, and then there's abstract items. And in terms of the concrete stuff, it seems like we're on the surface, you know, did I make any mistakes? Is there any little glitches, any errors? Are there any artifacts from the amplifier and buzzes and weird sounds from the frets that are the guitar isn't set up right or there's a buzzing? Maybe my intonation is a little bit off because when we're listening back, that's an opportunity to really hear for that. As well as other noise, which, I mean, producing this podcast, we've struggled with some of these things like bumping into the mic stand or, you know, other weird glitches that happen. Um, or the jackhammer that's going on behind me it, and behind exactly. my face right now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or, uh, you know, just random stuff. And then, then it slowly veers into more abstract things, like time feel is something that we can concretely listen for when we're recording. Like, if you're recording with a click, you can see how close you are to the click. And in New West, a lot of times when we've recorded a lot of our solely parts, you can look back and see if one of us is dragging or rushing visually in the digital audio software that we're using, right? But there's also an abstract element to time feel. Does the overall feel sound relaxed? Does it feel on edge? And the overall vibe, the overall energy of the track, you know, these are things sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but I've had to make compromises with some stuff I've recorded where maybe I make a little glitch and it's a live recording, but the overall energy to me is 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 there you know or the way i'm interacting mm -hmm. with the musicians and the audience response is there i don't know perry have you ever had that happen to you where you've listened back to recording and you've had to give and take a little bit on something where you feel like there was a little mistake or a little error but something else made that made that track really work for you that you wanted to get it out there yeah definitely i mean that happens probably every time i play i mean nothing is totally perfect and you kind of have to embrace your human quality um, I mean, that's hopefully a point you can get to when you're studying your recordings and you're listening back is that people who are often afraid to listen back to the way they sound, they have some sort of insecurity issue that's sort of blanketing their thing. Because the, if you can't listen to the way you play, I feel like there's something else going then on. Then why should there. anyone else? Well, right. not necessarily yeah. why should anybody else, but... Hopefully you can get to a point where you can at least like evaluate what you're doing. You know, it's it's like a... Um, an author never being able to read or edit their material or a painter never being yep. able to look at the canvas when it's half done to complete it, right? I mean, there's so many little, um, you know, changes you can make and adjustments you can make. I mean, we, we would do this in New West, you know, from night to night on the road. We'd listen back to something and we'd say, oh, that song is too fast. A lot of what we've dealt with in this band has been about tempo, right? Yeah. Just trying to get the right tempo for some of these tunes to where it feels good for the, all three of us with all the parts. So studying your recordings, I mean, it's it's crucial. Right, and like, here's an example. I'm just gonna play this for you guys. See if you can hear on this track where the mistake is at the top, specifically relating to time feel. 
This is actually an acoustic track I had to record, and it's a raw mix um, where somebody wanted me to record essentially Folsom Prison Blues, including the intro line to it. So here we go. I think Will and I both heard it right away, right? Was it me- measure three or something on on the E? Yeah, something like that. Right what? at the top. Yeah, yeah. You said Can you I pose said a right question? Well, uh, Will, go for it. What was it you were going to say? If you were to put that in the mix with bass, drums, slide guitar, whatever, whatever, vocals, background vocals, how much more pronounced would that be? I would say arguably a lot less, and you could probably even get away with just using that. Exactly. And yeah. this track was used, actually. Right, right. And that's what bugged me was um, overall, like, I feel like I'm in a pretty good groove, but this was recorded to a click. And sometimes if I'm not, if I haven't warmed up or really kind of gotten into that tempo, then we can have that effect where I get kind of click shock at the beginning of the take where I start off where I think it is and then I have to pull it back or I have to speed it up. And this was an example of, of that. As I call it, it's kind of that click shock where, mm. oh, that's the click right there. There it is. And I, I, I saw the reaction on your face, Will. <laughs> I knew that you saw it right away. You know, I don't know, Perry, did you, did you catch that at all? Or, you know, I haven't gotten click shot yet or click shock, shock yet. Yeah, you've got to yeah. be careful with that one. That can yeah. go a lot of different directions. Click uh-huh. shock. Go um, on, Perry. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> what what directions? <laughs> but no, yeah. I, I think I heard it, and uh, you know, like the like I said, you know, the human qualities when you're listening to a recording, I think those are the things that give your recordings character. I don't think they're necessarily things that we have to try to smooth over all the time. We would have these debates when we were recording our records with uh, Paul Tavener, who was like co-producing and engineering these recordings. I mean. There were some things that he would want to just make perfect because that's how he was as an engineer. And uh, we were kind of that way a little bit too. But, man, you know, when I think back, like, it's those, it's those little imperfections that are kind of the, like the most humanistic quality of our playing that oftentimes give it a vibe. Well, and, you know, it, it's true. However, I find myself, like, some of the hardest stuff I've ever had to play in my life is when a film composer says, I need a G chord and just picked exactly like this. And I sit there for, like, an hour trying to get it exactly mm. right. You know, And it's, it, it's happened to me in a lot of situations where it's not an artistic situation. And, you know, so continuing on this discussion here where we're really breaking down these concrete and abstract elements where the human qualities in our playing, the soul is there, the feel is there. I mean, it sounds like a human playing the guitar. None of us are going to sound like a MIDI track ever. Mm. Thank goodness, right? But one suggestion I can have to our, to our listeners and just chatting is something that we've all done in the studio is, Make sure that when you go record, have a pen and paper and sit down and write what you're hearing. And first of all, I take a lot of notes like, oh, at one minute and 32 seconds, I had a little glitch here. Because sometimes that can help me save time in the studio. And a lot of times, depending on the engineer, little things can be worked and can be fixed, as we call it kind of the Pro Tools magic a little bit. And 
Because I, I agree with you, Perry. It's the overall vibe and feel and human quality of those abstract elements in most ways will outweigh small mistakes, small errors. Of course, big mistakes, big errors have to be fixed. Um, and, you know, recordings have just, the level has just gone so high. I mean, guys like Pat Metheny in the 70s and 80s were setting this bar for us where everything has to be totally pristine, totally perfect. And a lot of jazz recordings have gone that direction too. I mean, you listen to yeah. modern jazz recordings and especially not live ones, and they're just, they're, they're Flawless. so pristine, you yeah. know, and it, it, it affects the choices I make in the studio. And New West, we've definitely been in that camp with our studio recordings where we want to get everything really nice and pristine and locked in, but still have that element of that human quality for, in there, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All good points, man. Yeah. Yeah. So my next question to you guys, too, is I'm, I'm curious, um, what skills have you guys developed? And I'll go with you, Will, first, um, like skills at home with, with just your home recording gear. Um, how has that evolved for you in terms of producing your own tracks, being able to make edits or for that matter, when you're studying your recordings at home and you have the luxury where we're not on the clock, you know, you kind of got all the time you want. Um, you know, how, how have you developed those skills to record tracks that you're, that you're happy with, that you can send to other people, or for that matter, yeah. that you use for your own projects? Well, I think a good workflow is doing one to two times through. Just hit record and just play. It's, it's an intentional scratch track, and you're getting the balance. You're getting the level. You're working out the register, the octave, all that stuff. So you're kind of getting all the f initial formalities out of the way. And... Mm -hmm you're basically guaranteed not to keep that take. Right. But maybe there is a part that you nailed the first time and you can keep that. Mm -hmm. um, after that, I like to usually delete that, go back, hit record, and just start playing it through. And if I make a mistake, I stop, back it up a bar or two, hit record, keep going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually you get to the end. You might have a bunch of comps down there. You do the crossfades. You listen back, maybe, you know, export it and listen to it on your headphones off Dropbox. And it sounds pretty congealed. And that's kind of a good workflow to work in. And on that point, really interesting. Um, this, is, this is a totally random fact, but I heard Robin Ford once talking about in his early days, if he messed up during a solo on his album, he would just start the solo over. And he said he eventually learned to just where he messed up stop back it up a bar do it and continue the phrase it's just an interesting point mm. in that sense about improvisation doing that as opposed to like a preconceived guitar part so i think that's an important part that a modern musician has to get comfortable with is hit stop back up a bar and continue Hmm. Yeah, and that's something you've become more comfortable with doing at home Definitely. rather than having an engineer sit there and Definitely. do that. Because yeah, I agree. I mean, early on with the early days of when it was Logic Studio 9 before it was Pro, Logic Pro, and I was really struggling with how to get that to sound properly. And Perry, mm -hmm. for that matter, you too, you're doing a lot of home recording. You have a lot of home recording gear now too. Um, do you feel like the same thing that you're more comfortable making those kinds of edits? And in terms of st studying your recording, listening back, being able to make a choice on how to fix things and how to how to add to certain tracks that you're making yes to all that um to will's point about comping parts um i'm gonna start putting a little asterisk 
and a question mark next to your videos if I think they're comp. Well, I'm going to be like, asterisk, question mark, is this a comp together solo guitar video? And then we'll see where the real truth comes out. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Only slightly. Copying together your parts is a great way to kind of, uh, I don't know, achieve like um, a really clear, beautiful sound from your recordings that is uh, void of any mistakes, let's say. People have done that forever. We've comped together parts for sure. Um, I don't do that as much anymore when I'm playing solo. I try to get a take that I'm happy with. Um, but the aspect of studying the recordings has really brought me a lot of knowledge about my own playing, particularly from the elements of sound and feel. Because um, when you're playing uh, in your home studio, you're out of volume and you're at a controlled environment that's really different than what's going to happen when you're on the bandstand. And so, uh, I, again, like... I think when it comes to studying your recordings, it's really helpful because it can sort of help you be your own teacher and help help guide the way you want to play and the way you want your music to, to come across to others. Because it's hard, you know, when you're finished a gig and you ask people, they just go, "Oh, it sounded great, it sounded great." They don't they don't really know what you're listening for. So having the tape there to reflect on uh, is good. And I mean, I have a, an example of a new West tune, one that I wrote, Shadow Play, that. You know, when I originally wrote it, there were some elements afterwards that I thought, oh, maybe we could improve on this. And so I thought a cool little exercise would be to listen to the original version of Shadow Play that we recorded on Wide Awake and then listen to the version that we did live at Machunk with Will. And you can hear the differences that we changed. You want to try this real quick? Yeah, it's a good part of the episode to do that. Okay, yeah. So this is the original recording. And you can hear, well, when I play the following recording, you'll hear the differences, but here's the original. So specifically, that middle section always felt like a little bit lackluster to me. Um, And that was back in the quartet days. And I hadn't necessarily figured out a lot of the rhythmic things with the acoustic guitar. I'm playing the acoustic guitar on that track. 
um, that I did in later years. So upon studying this recording and other live recordings, I thought, um, you know what, I need to kind of like rethink this section so I can kind of keep the energy and keep the groove going. I think it was actually our gig at Java Jazz Festival in Indonesia that made me think about trying to rearrange this uh, a little bit. And then, John, you ended up on baritone. So let's listen to the new recording, and then we'll hear the difference. to me i hear like more energy i hear like more of a connection between uh the rest of the song and then that bridge section so there's just little adjustments that you can make upon studying your recordings that i think um improve your improve your music mm -hmm. yeah yeah it, you know again like getting um objective about things and analyzing exactly. something and plus shadow plays a tune we've been playing that since 2007 of right. course will joined the band in 2015 that was that we brought that back i think we spent some time where we didn't play the tune and uh -huh. then will join the band we we tried it again and it's that's a interesting exercise in playing the same arrangement for such a long period of time and how you can make all these adjustments over time um, and how you get more comfortable and more therefore objective uh -huh. with what you're doing right um, you know back to recording at home too I feel like uh, you know for a long time I I felt comfortable recording single tracks for people, but then it got harder using like MIDI instruments. And I just want to play this. You guys are going to get a kick out of this. This was like a, the, the producer wanted like this track for some little instructional film he was doing. And it was this kind of like Samba-ish groove. And he sent me the, that track and then I added other parts to it. And I just, he said, just blow like clean Telecaster type of stuff over the top of this. So I gave it a shot. And this was me producing this whole track. And this would have been something that a few years ago would have not have been comfortable with <laughs> doing. And now I'm getting more and more comfortable with it.
was, you know, uh, like, the sound of summer running. Exactly. Is that, is that I chorus? Was, I was, you bet. You bet. Oh my chorus God. Well, I know. A, there's been a chorus sighting. Chorus sighting, chorus. Chorus pandemic. Kind of long here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I channel, channeled. Channeled my inner Dan Bomber on that one for sure. Yeah. Know? And then here's another one. This is a layered acoustic track I did for a vocalist that wanted a New West style arrangement. was like one of the trickiest things about that session was i spent the whole weekend hanging up quilts and pillows all over that was my burbank apartment <laughs> where the flight path was right over my place yeah. and i tried to deaden that room as much as possible to the point where i was almost ready to just go somewhere to record that but and it was actually an interesting experiment. I put a lot of stuff around the microphones, and I was able to get really clean steel string acoustic guitar tracks with no yeah, sound no, in there. Nice but sound. Yeah, the only way I would feel comfortable now doing this is if I would get more concrete with what I'm listening for and becoming more objective and also having good examples of what I feel like is, is an acoustic guitar sound that I can achieve with the gear I have, mm -hmm. but is also practical for whoever needs that track, mm -hmm. you know, which actually gets me to one of the, the last questions I had for you guys, too. In terms of studying our recordings, there is such a difference in listening on headphones or earbuds or listening on your monitors, like a nice set of studio monitors, a, some sort of consumer grade Bluetooth speaker or in your car. And I feel like a big part of the process of the New West records in the past is that we've done a lot of listening in the car to make sure that the levels are right, that things are blending properly. And, you know, there's, there's always kind of a fun feeling of going and listening to a take that somebody just mixed and going listening to it in your car when you're driving because it really gives you the impact of what it might listen, sound like on the radio. And I'm curious, um, Will, do you have kind of a process with that or any one of those particular modes of listening back, which is your favorite when it comes yeah. to actually mixing tracks? Yeah, um, I'd say most of my listening back um, is in these types of headphones that I'm wearing, which are basic Sony earbuds. That's a good reference point for me because... 95 plus percent of the music that I listen to are in headphones, are in earbuds like this. When I record, I'll, I'll use Audio-Technica headphones, and these are great to listen back in also. However, I'm only listening through these headphones when I'm recording, and definitely in the car, you know. Upload it to Dropbox, listen to it on the headphones, listen to it in the car. 
gives you two huge, I mean, think about what your main musical intake speakers are and use those for reference when you're listening back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Perry? I remember this being a big point of contention about like what you're mixing for early on when we were doing our records. Like we would say, oh, we want it to sound good in the car. And the engineer would be like, why would you possibly want to mix for the lowest common denominator of where you're listening for? You know, like make them sound good on good speakers. And I get all these points. Um, I think there's maybe a balance to be struck. These days, a lot of the home recording that I'm doing for social media especially, I'm mixing for the fucking iPhone speakers. And I'm, you know, going through a process of listening back to how it sounds straight from my phone. And if that sounds good to me, then I know I'm where I want to be because that is the unfortunate truth of how uh, most people are intaking music. It's literally from looking at their phone and hearing it right then and there. So fortunately, the technology keeps getting better. These microphones on the uh, phones are good, and the speakers are definitely getting better. But that's a lot of where I'm mixing for these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and you know, for those of, of you who are listening to the podcast, uh, if you guys have any links of anything that you're recording, we'd love to hear that back. And also get your thoughts on this topic, because it's interesting. We all have a different relationship with our music. I mean, I recently spoke to a guy who worked with Chuck Mangione for a long time and Chuck pretty much just listens to his recordings. Like he does not listen to a lot of other music because he feels like it sort of affects his musical choices. And I always thought that was so odd because for me, it's the exact opposite. I have to listen to a lot of different kinds of music to continue to be inspired to get out and do my music and not to mention transcribe, learn other people's stuff and just like kind of be in the in the know a little bit. So I thought that was kind of an interesting approach. And I believe that that balance of, you know, being able to listen to yourself and not like listen to yourself over and over again for the point of just pure enjoyment, but also for the actual reasoning behind what am I trying to record? What's the goal here? What's the artistic vision? And am I achieving my sound? It can, it can be hard to hear your own sound, especially if you haven't done a lot of recordings. So the more you can record and the more you can document yourself in a live situation and in a studio situation and listen back, it starts helping you find your own voice on, on your instrument. And yeah. for, before for we improvising too, yeah. man, like, you know, mm -hmm. understanding when you've sort of played out an idea. Like I've, I've heard back some recordings. Where I've been like, oh, I'm happy with the way this is sounding. Shit, I took two extra choruses. I should have ended, you know, the, all that stuff is so informative, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and before we close out, anything else to add? Will, you got anything else too? I mean, no, this was great. I We should do another part on this, actually mm -hmm. just right into the nitty gritty of all the recording stuff because I mean it's just a part it's like it's just a part of the gig now yeah right? I agree so, and yeah. also you know I will add this as we close a lot of my mentors in jazz guitar specifically you know like a lot of the old guard type of people a lot of them just didn't really I don't know care as much about recordings mm -hmm. the first guy I met that really did was Balmer I mean that mm -hmm. guy really concentrated on his recordings and, and how he 
played, but a lot of players that I they just recorded and then just put it out, and that's like this is what I sound like right now. Like a and, like a division of responsibility. It's like oh, that's not my problem. It's the engineer's yeah. problem. The label's problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and we we're recording ourselves on social media. We're putting out clips of us. I mean, you don't know who's going to interact with you for the first time and be like, wow, I finally checked out this guy Will Brom, and this is what he sounds like. So it's important for us to feel like you know we are putting some thought into all of this and um we weren't tr i mean i certainly did not go to college to for engineering or for i mean i went to school on how to master the instrument and how to be a better guitarist so yeah. it's it's interesting flipping that and being on the other side of that so yeah well we're gonna, get, we're gonna get a chance to talk all about you john in the next episode because episode 36 coming up next is a feature on the man himself john story that's already happening. We're at that point in the season. Holy yeah. mackerel. We're winding down to 40 episodes this season. So thank you for everybody who has been tuning in since the beginning. Uh, we hear you, we see you, and we appreciate you. So, Will Brom, you're leading the episode about mm -hmm. John next week from one Oregonian to another. Hopefully yeah, you guys yeah. can talk about things outside of the I-5 corridor and your favorite uh, Black Bear Diners and things like that. Oh, there's yeah. a lot more to Oregon than the I-5 corridor, yeah, I'll tell you that, as a central on, Oregonian, for sure. Yeah, believe me, I know. <laughs> We've seen just about every fucking inch of that state. People just think that Oregon is like Eugene to Portland. There's like a <laughs> lot more in that state, you know. Grey Goose but, Cafe. Yeah, and, and also, you know, a big shout-out to our Patreon followers. We just got a bunch more this month, and it's really helping us out. Um, we have exclusive content for everybody on there, including videos of, of today's episode. And um, when I was down at Bruce Foreman's show at the Irvine Barclay Theater the other week, a gentleman came up to me who's from Newburgh, Oregon, and he's like, I recognize your voice. Are you the guy from the High Action Podcast? I was like, yep, that's us. And it was, it's just fun to get feedback. First thing I asked was, what do you think? You know, are there any topics that you want us to cover? So if anybody listening has some subjects that they want to hear us cover or questions, Patreon is the best way to interact with us there. Um, and next best thing you can do is just to follow, like, subscribe on our socials. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. All right. See you next week. Mm -hmm.